0: Praise the Lord, everyone. God bless you. Stand with us. We go to God in prayer. Let's ask the Lord to bless us all here today. Amen. Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and blessings, for your presence, your power, your spirit, your love, your grace, your goodness. We ask you to bless each and every one of us here today, Lord, as we look into your word in the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. <clears throat> Amen. God bless you. Turn around and somebody shake their hand greet them before you sit down. Tell them they look nice. Amen. And we're glad for all of you that are here with us this morning. This is our adult Bible class. We've got Sunday school going on all over the plant here, the church plant today. And many classes going, and this is our adult uh, class. And the, uh, you are the ones who are so advanced, I have to stay on my toes to be able to teach you. <laughs> so God bless you for your wonderful understanding and knowledge of the Word of God. Amen. Uh, we had a great Christmas banquet for you folks that were there. Great Christmas banquet last night over beachside and uh, very nice, very nice, and uh, just a wonderful occasion, good time, good time of fellowship, good food and all those good things, amen. But today it's good to be in the house of God, to just worship God, glorify the Lord and praise the Lord. There was an uh, uh, ensemble, ensemble last night uh, that sang, wow, were they ever good, you that were there, weren't they good? And I guess they're going to be singing in that, in that cantata, Christmas cantata. You don't want to miss that. These folks were really, I mean, they're our own people. I thought that sounds like something coming, you know, out of uh, professionalism, you know, out of maybe, I don't know where you say it. Well, Hollywood, New York, Nashville, I don't know where. But it was really professional. Boy, it was so good. And I was just amazed with it. So God bless our singers, our musicians. They work so hard to give us these wonderful things. And here at Christmas time, I think we're just going to be blessed with a lot of special things. Amen. God bless you. This is a great time of the year, isn't it? To know the Lord, to serve God, to walk with Him. I want you to turn in your Bibles with us to the 13th chapter of the book of St. Matthew. And uh, we are studying the subject here of the parables of Jesus. We're on the subject here of Christ, the voice of God. And when Jesus came, he was God's voice in this world teaching and talking about the things of God and the Word of God. We're in Lesson 5 of this series, and uh, we're talking about Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. When Jesus started out his ministry, he said, it started out saying that he began to teach about the kingdom of God is at hand. We talked about what the kingdom of God was. It was God's spiritual kingdom that he was placing on this earth and would be here until he would come back again. And uh, as you know, he's gone away, but the kingdom is still here on earth. The kingdom is the church. And uh, that, of course, is brought out in the word of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so we, uh, we are in the kingdom of God, and it's a spiritual kingdom. When Jesus came, he was trying to teach the people that his kingdom was not an ordinary kingdom where a king puts on a certain apparel and he has an army of soldiers and they go forth to battle and they fight and they war and they kill and they, over, they take over and they conquer. And he was trying to say, this is not the way the kingdom of God is going to be on earth. And it's going to be different. Last week, we talked about The one where he said the kingdom of God is like a sower who sowed his seed into a field. And some fell on different type grounds. And then he went on to say the grounds were like the heart of men. How do you receive the word of God? The word word is the the seed that's sown. How do we receive the word? And how we receive the word determines on what kind of ground our heart is or what kind of reception we give to the word of God and whether fruit will come forth from that. And then the Lord talked about it. and We, of course, uh, <clears throat> we elaborated on it last week and, and from the 13th, first part of the 13th chapter. Today, I want to go into another parable. In the 13th chapter, there were seven parables that Jesus likened unto the kingdom of God. This is the second one that he gave. And uh, it's verse 24. And ironically, he still uses the agricultural understanding uh, here to the people as he's teaching. In other words, Jesus would take natural things and talk about them. And in those natural things was hidden the secret and the understanding of the spiritual things. So when he talked about the grounds, different grounds of the hearts of men, the seed was the word of God. And the sower is the son of man or the preacher, whoever preaches the word and how we receive it and so forth. That was one of his parables and the spiritual side of it is how do we receive the word of God. This is another parable where that the sowing of the seed and the ground, everything is totally different. But it is also bringing out the spiritual side of the kingdom of God. So look at it very closely here with me, very carefully. I've got some many interesting things to give you here. Look at verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them saying, this is verse 24, or 13 now of Matthew saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. And I just want to just say this again, the kingdom of of heaven, the kingdom of God is the same thing. In the book of Matthew, he uses the term the kingdom of heaven most of the time. Not always, but most of the time. And in the book of Mark and Luke, the word kingdom of God is used in in reference to the very same parables. So we know by that that they're the same thing. It goes on to say here in verse 24, uh, saying unto them, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man which sowed good seed in his field. Now notice here the field was the man's himself. Verse 25, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up, And brought forth fruit, there appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then cometh the tares, or hath it tares? Verse 28, he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto them, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares... Ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather you together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. Now this is the parable that Jesus gave here, but the interpretation of the parable is not given until you get over into the a later part of that same chapter. Uh, I'm going to jump very quickly to verse 37 to give you some understanding here on these things that the Lord was talking about because he spells it out very quickly, very easily, and very simply here from 37 through 39. So look at verse 37 of, of uh, Matthew 23. He says here, He answered and said unto them, They had asked him, what is, the, what is the, the parable of the tares in the field? And he said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. All right? The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. So in a very, just a brief few words here, we get somewhat of an understanding here of this parable that Jesus is giving. So that while it may be talking about like an agricultural situation, it's really talking about the spiritual things of God and the kingdom of God that God would be putting in this world. And so he talked about this. I won't go back to the first part because I want to bear out some things here that uh, what they faced and how they thought to handle it and so forth. I want you to look with me, if you would, in verse uh, 26. This was the problem. Verse 26, but when the blade was sprung up uh, and brought forth fruit, this is the wheat now, remember that, then appeared the tares also. So you got the wheat and you got the tares growing together. Now the irony about these two... Plants. One is a weed, and the other is a is a, is a fruit. It's a harvest. The weed is a harvest type fruit. It's a grain. And the thing about them, they look alike when they are growing together. When they're growing, there's no difference. They all look alike. They both look alike. And so it says, when the blood, when the blade sprung up, and and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. They both grew together because they grew out of the same earth. They got the same nourishment and so forth. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? For whence then cometh the tares? In other words, how did this happen? You know, we thought you sowed all good seed. And then the Lord answers here, He saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto them, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? In other words, this was the immediate solution of the service let's just go and gather up all the tares and get rid of them and put them aside so that the wheat can just grow without any kind of trouble and uh, this was their solution can I just add this sometimes that this is sometimes our solution you know we say, God you can take care of this problem just get rid of them you know or get take care of that but God has said let them both go together That's why that there's going to be evil and good in this world until Jesus comes back. And that's why that while you're a good person or a good man or a good woman and you're living for God and you're a child of the Lord, there's going to be some wicked people around us. And sometimes we wonder why God even tolerates some of the wickedness that goes on. And the whole reason is because God has so designed it to be that way. And he gave us this parable for us to understand it that way. That as long as as Jesus has not come back, and he hasn't, that there is going to be in this world the good and the evil. There's going to be good people. There's going to be evil people. And they will both be growing together. And sometimes it is your will and my will that those tears just be taken out of the way. But they're not. They're not. They're not. And the Lord allows it to, to continue to grow like that. And so he just, and it, this is what he said here in this parable. An enemy hath done this, and let them both, uh, uh, and the servants unto him, wilt thou then that we go and get them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them, because they look alike. Now Don't, don't, don't forget what I'm saying here, the look-alike factor. They look alike. And uh, because they look alike, you will not always know which one you're pulling up and you're getting rid of. So he says in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the father, the reapers rather, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And that was, of course, the end of that particular parable that he gave. And I want you to notice here that he said just let them both grow together. And the reason is because as they're growing up together, they look alike. They look alike. Now, I'm just going to sort of jump ahead and just tell you the difference. At the harvest time, listen very closely. At harvest time, the wheat will begin to bend over from the weight of the fruit, which is the grain. And it, as it grows, it will begin to bend. This is true. And the tares will stick up straight so that the reapers in the end can see the difference. And they can take the tares out of the way before they reap the harvest. I, uh, years ago, when my wife and I were a young couple, we were evangelizing up in the Midwest. And uh, we went and uh, preached for some of our pastors who own farms in Indiana, particularly. And I'm uh, thinking of one particular uh, pastor that had a, a farm, and they were pastors in small churches. And of course, we were getting started, and we preached in small churches. That was fine. We did. We liked that. And uh, but these farmers had so much information to give. And I had the privilege of working with them on their farms, you know, during the daytime, and then preaching in the church services at night. But uh, I remember asking this one brother. I said, "Why? Why?" Did they let them both go together? What advantage was that? And he smiled at me and looked at me and he said, Brother Myers, every farmer knows the reason. He said, the wheat will bend over from the weight of the wheat and the tares will always just stand up straight. As a farmer, I know that. Praise the Lord. And so let me just say this. In your walk with God, folks, you carry the burden of prayer. You carry the burden of soul winning. You carry the burden of... people's needs, uh, you, uh, you give. The world doesn't care about that. Everybody is get all you can and can all you get. I mean, I'm going to get all I can and can all I get just for me, just for me and mine. But in the church, we are concerned about other people. We carry that burden. We carry that burden. And that cares right on down to the end of time. And so the cares uh, of other people's needs and the need for other people and everything Becomes comes that weight of the church that we have that makes us stand out from that of the world. Praise God. And so when at the end of time, then there would come the solution here in which the lords would say, let them grow together. But they look alike as they're growing together. The look-alike factor. I want to talk to you about the look-alike factor because the look-alike factor is, uh, is the deception of, uh, why were the tears sown, they were sown, that they may hinder the work of God by deception, by deception. And deception here, the deception, was the look-alike factor. I remember years ago I, we were pastoring in a little church up in Northwest Florida, in Port St. Joe, Florida. And uh, I went in the uh, police chief's office one day, and uh, I always went by there once a month and collected his insurance. And I was an insurance agent as well as pastoring. And I went by there to collect the insurance, and he said, Preacher, sit down. I said, all right. He said, he popped out a $10 bill and shoved it across the table. He said, what is that? I said, it's a $10 bill. He said, that's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. He said, we got some counterfeit going on in our town. And he said, I got to run it down, trace it down. But this is a counterfeit $10 bill, you know. And uh, I looked at it and looked at it looked at it real good. And I said, how how can you tell? I mean, I don't know. He said, there are ways to tell. He said, but I know that that is a counterfeit. And he said, it's my job to try to find it. But they look like a real $10 bill, but they're counterfeits. Now, there are counterfeit Christians. There are counterfeit people who try to pretend that they are like you and me, or they're Christians and they love God and they love, you know, righteousness. But down inside, they, have, they don't have it. It's not there. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this counterfeit Christianity sometimes. Not just Christianity, but all counterfeit. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. But uh, he said, this is counterfeit. Uh, later on, I was at a bank up in the northern part of our county. And uh, I asked the teller up there, I said, I said do, you, do you know how to tell the difference between a counterfeit and a real? I was thinking, still thinking about that $10 bill. And uh, she said, I don't, but there's a lady here in our bank that does. She's the expert on counterfeits. So I said, can I talk to her for a minute? I said, how do you tell the difference? I said, can you tell the difference in a 20 and a 10 and a 50 and all that, a 100? Yeah, yeah, she says. I said, how do you know the difference? She says, well, first of all, you never study the counterfeit. You study the real thing. She says, you know, she says, if you study the real bill, whether it's a 20 or a 10 or 50, whatever it is, you study it. You know what it looks like. When the counterfeit comes across, you can spot the counterfeit because you understand the real. Can I just say this today to all of us here? If you study the word of God, folks, and you know the word of God, and you get this in your heart, and you know the word, you don't have to know a lot about false doctrines and false beliefs. You don't have to know a lot about them. You just have to know the real thing. And if you know the real thing, I promise you, when you, you can spot the counterfeit when it comes your way. But you've got to know the real and the genuine to be able to spot the counterfeit. And Jesus said, they're going to both go together. They're going to be here. And it's up to you to be able to discern what's the real and what isn't the real. And I'm just saying here, the only way we know the real is by the word. By the word, you test everything against the word of God. The word is always right, the word is always true, and the only way counterfeit can ever get past that is to start discrediting the word of God. Discrediting the word of God. I was in a, uh, in a little, little debate one time with uh, uh, some people of another religion. I won't get into the details on it. But we were going back and forth and going back and forth, and I pretty well had it nailed to the wall on some things. And finally, he reached over and picked up my Bible. He picked up my Bible, and he says, The reason that you believe what you believe is because you believe everything in this book. I said, That's right. You believe everything? I said, That's exactly right. He said, Don't you know this book has arrows? I said, No, it doesn't. You know, and folks, I will tell you today, I've been studying for. For 60 years, I still don't know if I find more truth to confirm what the Word says. There's always people just trying to find errors. I went to the library one time, and I found a book that says Errors in the Bible. I went looking at those errors, and I looked them all up, and I found the answer in the Word of God. It was not an error. It was their understanding to be an error. Let me just give you, an, let me give you a simple answer, and there's, many, there's several, a number of these like this. Jesus said, Go ye in all the world baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's what he said. Go ye in all the world baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 28 19. When the apostles went forth, they baptized in Jesus' name. So if you're just looking at it, you would say, There's an error here. Jesus said to baptize this way, the apostles went and baptized that way. That's an error. No, it isn't. Because if you know the truth and you know the word, you understand that when Jesus said, "Go forth and baptize in the name," the name is a singular. It's not names; it's name in A.M.E. One name. Baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And when you say the name, there's only the Bible says. I think it, I think it's in Acts uh, four twelve. Uh, it says there's one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. I mean, this is old hat to so many of you, and I'm aware of it. But I'm giving that for an example. But somebody could look at that and say, Oh, that's an error in the Bible. No, it isn't. That's that's a confirmation. Praise the Lord. Somebody told me one time it says, Matthew, Mark, and Luke states that Jesus died at a certain time of the day, but you read John, and John is off based on the on the date, on the time. So John's wrong, or they're wrong, John's right. Which is it? They can't both be right. Which is it? You know what the answer is? John was following the Jewish time clock. I mean, John was was following, pardon me, the Roman time clock, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke was following the Jewish time clock. The Jewish time clock starts, the day starts at 6 o'clock at night. Their new day always starts in the evening. Remember how the Jews always, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, like was on Saturday, but it started Friday night at 6 o'clock. Not 6, but when this, you could count three stars and it started. And I'm just saying that's when their day started. So their time was different than the way that the Romans, we, we followed the old Roman system and so forth. And since the Jews had already been conquered and Jerusalem and the temple destroyed in 90 AD, John referred only to the Roman time clock, which was the only time system left that everybody was using, where Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who wrote earlier, had used the Jewish time clock. There's the answer. So simple. I mean, you know. And so you've got many things like this, but the word is always right. We'll always stay with the word. It'll never be. And you can go on and on with any little thing that can appear like that. There's always an answer and God has made it so that if we will follow this word, you will never go wrong. Praise the Lord. You'll never go wrong if you follow the word of God. Everybody say, "Praise the Lord. Praise uh, <clears throat> I want to read a verse of scripture to you here. Look in uh, Matthew 24 for a moment. This is the teachings of Christ excuse me <coughs> uh, concerning uh, things to look for it toward his coming and also toward uh, the destruction of the temple. Look at 24.3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming? When shall these things be is the destruction of the temple and the sign of thy coming is, is when he would come back for his church and of the end of the world. So you've got three questions going here and Jesus proceeds to answer all three of them uh, in this fashion. Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Everybody see that? <clears throat> Take heed that no man deceive you. This is what the Lord was more concerned about than anything else throughout this church age period. Don't let anybody deceive you. Then he goes on to say here in verse 5, for many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. Look down in verse 11, that same chapter, 24, 11 of Matthew. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Look at verse 23. This is Jesus now saying these things as he's teaching. Then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Oh, he's over here, he's over there. Go in, go out, go here, go there. Believe it not, for there shall come false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, which the Antichrist will do in the last days, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. You know why? Because they have learned how to have a look-alike. We'll talk to you about that in a moment. Uh, because, be, behold I will have I told you before verse 25 verse 26 wherefore if they shall say unto you behold he is in the desert go not out go not forth behold he is in the secret chambers believe it or not you know why? because Jesus went up like this this is where he went you read the book, first chapter of the book of Acts those apostles were standing there and Jesus went up and those, two, those angels stood by, two angels stood there by them. They were looking like this. Wow, there he goes. Jesus going up he's ascending into heaven. He had resurrected, was on earth 40 days. Now he, is, he was ascending. And he had told them, he said, go back to Jerusalem and wait, pray and tarry until you're being due with power from on high. And there he went. And they were watching, watching. And while they were watching, they looked back at each other and there are two men standing in white apparel with them. And these two men said, you men of Galilee, watch, and you gazing into the heavens, the same Jesus that ye see, see go away shall so come again in like manner. in your Bible just underline that. That's the way he's coming back. If somebody says, he's out here, he's over there, he's there, he's over there. No, he's not, because he's coming back this way. That the way he went away is the way he's coming back. It's in the word. Praise God. So I have to say, I, I believe that. So if somebody says, oh, this is going on, that's going on, everything, you know, go here, go there, go there, and do that. forget it, don't do any of it. Because the Lord, when he comes back, he'll come back from heaven above, and the Bible said he'll break the eastern sky, hallelujah, and the Lord will come back for his own. Dead in Christ shall rise first, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, and so forth. Many scriptures and many verses that, let us know that the Lord is coming back. That's all based on faith, and Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. He is the first one. He rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, and then one day, all those that love him, love his appearing, and that have walked with him and served him uh, and been ready to go, they are going to rise too. Now, let me go back a little further. I want to tell you about an experience uh, I had about 30 years ago. Uh, a son came to me, uh, your pastor, uh, one day. He was a young man in his 20s then. He and uh, his cousin, my nephew, they came to me and said, uh, he said, Dad, he said, we have a chance to go to Korea. And uh, he says, all expenses paid. And he says, uh, there are some young ladies down in, down in South Florida, this, in Pentecostals there, they want us to go and to go with them and uh, they want to go over so they can buy a lot of clothes. One of them has a clothing business. And they want to buy clothes and bring it back, and sell it and make a profit and so forth. I said, "Free? What do you mean free?" They said, "Yeah, you know this guy Mooney—that's the Moonies, you know. Well, he's offering free trips over there." Well, I knew about the Moonies because this was a guy in Korea that claimed he was a Messiah, and he had all these young people in America at that time working for him, selling flowers. It started in San Francisco, in case you want to know. It's it's where most of these kind of things start. And these people were in airports, train stations, bus depots, and they were selling flowers, selling flowers, selling flowers, raising money to give to this guy. They worked, they worked worked their little brains out working for this guy, and soon it was in San Francisco, then it was in Los Angeles, then it was in Seattle, then next thing you know, it was in St. Louis, then it was in New York, and it spread all over the whole country. And you had all these flower people, and they were called, and they were disciples of Mooney. He was called Mooney. His name was Sun Myung Myung, if you can get a hold of that one. Sun Myung Moon was his name. His last name was Moon. And so, anyhow, uh, he says, The Moonies are paying for it. I said, Really? He said, Would you and your and mom like to go? I said, No, I'm not interested in that. Also, there's another couple, a man and his sister over in Orlando want to go. All together there was about six of them. I finally told my wife, I said, you know what, we'd better go. We had better go because these young people are going over there and we just need to keep our eye on everything, everything. So to make a long story short, short, her and I went over for $300 round trip, plane trip, hotel expenses, all food paid for for a week. I mean, unheard of. And everything, you know, everything was paid by the Moonies. Okay, fine, good. So we got on a plane and we flew over there, you know, all of us flew together and uh, shopping was fabulous and all that kind of stuff, you know. They put us in a first class hotel, you know, Sheridan Walker Hotel, one of the best in Seoul, Korea, and uh, fed us like kings and everything and all we had to do was be in a little meeting every day and hear their little speeches and we said we could handle all of that. There was 300 people from America they had brought over all together. Some interesting people. One was an author, a book author. It was our crowd, you know. There were some Pentecostals there as well. And uh, what I did note was that these people were so sweet. They were so kind. They were so gentle. They were so nice to us. They rolled out the red carpet. They smiled about everything. They were so Christian, you know. They looked like they were Christians. And as I began to hear their talks and their speeches, make a long story short uh, this uh, son, Myung Moon, uh, he claimed he was the Messiah, that Jesus Christ had fumbled the ball, that Jesus Christ was supposed to have gotten married, but he did not get married, so he fumbled the ball as the Messiah. But he was the real Messiah and he got married. I think he's married two or three times, to be honest with you. <laughs> anyhow, and the guy was he had made a fortune on these kids in America selling flowers for him. He owned an automobile company over there. He owned a, a, a soft drink company. I have a soft drink that we got from their factory. Here it is. 30 years old. It hadn't even been opened yet. Looks like it's brand new. Anybody wants to drink it with me, well, I will. <laughs> <laughs> just pop the top, you know. And everything. It's called, uh, it's called McColl, McColl soft drink. And then it's got uh, Korean written on it as well. And it's made from wheat. Cause it's got a picture of wheat on it. So it's a wheat drink. I don't know how that, I don't remember. I know I probably drank two or three of them while I was there and I saved one of them. But anyway, I wanted to show it to you just so, in case you didn't know I went to Korea. There it is. <laughs> <You know. clears throat> so anyhow, we were, we were there, and, uh, and I began to watch things, and I began to think, these people are so persuasive. Then one day I said to one of the, one of the guys I knew was a, uh, an, uh, a Pentecostal from another place, not United Pentecostal. I said to him, I said, uh, boy, this is, this, these guys are really, I mean, they are phonies, aren't they? I mean, they look so professional and so like they're real Christians. And I said, they are way, Way hypocritical. He said, I don't know. They're, they're you know, they got, they got something going there. I said, you're not buying any of this stuff, are you? Well, he said, you know, they, they look like Christians. They act like Christians. And man, it hit me all of a sudden that they are getting through to some of these people. They're literally getting through to them, you know. So we started taking a different position. They asked me to pray one morning at a prayer meeting. They had a prayer meeting, 7 o'clock. We ate breakfast at 8 And then about 8.30, we were on the road, you know, going someplace, one of some of his places that he had. And so they asked me to do the prayer meeting. I thought, okay, they want a prayer meeting? I'll give them a prayer meeting. I was going to head the prayer meeting. So we went there, and man, I'll tell you, I launched into a prayer. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed for an hour, and the people got to pray. All them Pentecostals, and I really got to praying, you know. And we we did have a prayer meeting. And that morning, we got on a plane and flew to Pusan, which is down in southern Korea. So we flew down there so we could go down there and see Sun Moon's home and his, you know, where he grew up and all that kind of stuff. Sort of like going to Bethlehem in Jerusalem, you know, to see Jesus, where he was born and all that stuff. So we flew down there and we had dinner down there. And they said, Reverend Myers, we'd like for you to sit next to the mayor of Pusan. Here at the mayor and sit next to some other potentate. I don't know, and I said, uh oh, uh oh. They are they put me into this web. You know what I mean? They're wanting me now to be. They said, Reverend Myers, Reverend Myers, Reverend Myers. You know, they're trying to really soften me. And I said, I don't like this. We started up the mountain up to the little house to see something up there, and a guy comes up next to me and pops up a big umbrella. and It was drizzly, and he held the umbrella. He said, Don't worry, Reverend, I got you covered here. I'm going to be your umbrella carrier from here on up there and back. I mean, first-class treatment, I mean. And I said, oh, I see what, you know, I could see all this, all this stuff developing, you know, and everything. So anyhow, we got to talking, and one day I just said, you guys are a bunch of, I just told him. I said, you're just a bunch of hypocrites. I said, I, you, Jesus Christ is the only Messiah, I said, son, among you, David said, "Be careful, Dad. They got our passports still." You know. <laughs> I said, "I know. I know they have." I know they have. He was thinking wisdom. I was thinking wild and crazy. You know, and everything. He said, "They still got our passports." I said, "No, but they have to give them back." You know, and everything.
1: But anyhow,
0: and I can, I just confronted one of them. Got one guy there had been a had been a, a Simmons of God pastor in Detroit, and he had gone over there, divorced his wife, gone over there, and this guy hooked him up with a Korean girl, and he was married to her, and he had become one of the Moonies. And he was, uh, his name was Levi. So one day in one of the meetings, uh, our group would sing on the bus. They'd get us on, the, on the bus, and we'd go over to the drink place or over to the car factory, and our group would just sing, 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 and everything like that. So we got in this meeting one Sunday and this young guy got up from somewhere, I don't know who he was, one of our group, that 300 people. He said, I want these people that are singing all the time, I want them to shut their mouth and be quiet, I'm tired of hearing them sing on the bus. He got up and I stood up and I said, you sit down. <laughs> like that. I took over and he looked at me and he sat down real quick. I said, you sit down, I got something to say. And then I really unloaded on him and I told him, and I said, Levi, you're a hypocrite. I said, I told everybody, I said, this man's a backslidden Pentecostal preacher. And I said, he's over here acting like he's a mooney. And I said, he's a hypocrite. And I said that, that man knows better and everything. And, and Levi got up and said, peace, peace, wonderful peace. He was trying his best to bring, bring order in the place. And I had had my say, you know. I'm just saying that I could not believe they were so persuasive. But they looked like Christians, they act like Christians. But when you pushed them to the edge, I noticed they could get mean, they could get angry, and boy, they could come at you, you know, and everything. And I said, yeah, they may look like Christians, but they're not Christians. This guy was a total fake. And I thought of that scripture where the Lord said, there'll be false Christ. And that's what he was claiming. He was the Messiah. He was a false Christ and everything. And to make a long story short, we you know we were there for another day or so, and then you know, and I know they took us around. They took Ita- Itaewon, One, one of the greatest shopping districts in the world to buy things. You know, went there and buy things. Brother, uh, uh, my nephew, uh, brother uh, Bush, uh, he was uh, he went down and bought a suit, and they said, "We'll put your name on the inside here, right here. You know, this, this label right here. Put your name on there. Good." What's your name? And he got it mixed up and gave him the name of the hotel, and they had the name of the hotel <laughs> right here on his coat. <laughs> so when he got a suit somebody had to say, Tom Bush and said, you know, Sheridan Walker Hotel. We always kid him about that and everything. But I'm just saying here that while we went through all of that and got through it all and everything, the deception was absolutely there, and it was amazing to me how many people were already buying into it. Not our own people, and our own people were solid as solid as they could be but I could see where that it actually got there and it was all because they looked like Christians they act like Christians they had the sweet soft way about them and so forth so I'm telling you here today that when the scripture here says to us and Jesus said these words said there shall be false prophets there shall be false Christ I'm reading verse 23 then shall uh, any any man say unto you lo here is Christ or there believe it not Forget it; it's not going to happen. But there shall be false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, in so much that they shall deceive even the very elect, <clears throat> and uh, and so forth. This this guy now is dead. I, I'm sure he is. He was older man then, and he's gone on. I'll just give you one last thing here to tell about this fellow. I didn't. They did not tell us this. I read about it in a book, and I read it in a book. Uh, but Sun young, Moon would marry people and one time he married a thousand couples and anytime he married whether one couple or a thousand couples he did the same thing he always served communion certainly he gave him bread and he gave them wine and in the wine was a drop of his blood that's right he would put a drop of his blood in the wine and mix it not one drop in each cup, but just one drop in all the wine that they all drink. When of those 1,000 people, there was, there was a drop of his blood in that batch of wine, and then they served everybody. I'm just trying to say to you here, we're trying to, he was trying to be like Jesus Christ as much as he could. Trying to be the Messiah, but he was a false Messiah. Amen. I might just still add here that the biggest church in the world is in Seoul, Korea. We went there. And it was by Dr. Cho. Dr. Cho's Pentecostal. The largest Pentecostal church in the world is the largest church in the world. And, and by this, uh, probably over a million people I know now. Back then it was into the hundreds of thousands. But they had an auditorium that had back-to-back. Each side would seat 20,000 people. They had five services uh, a day on Sunday. They had uh, back-to-back. And... Uh, People would come there, and the twenty thousand in one service, and the next twenty thousand second service, twenty there, and so forth. And they had a huge congregation. He was the founder of what they call the home groups, the home group meetings that we know now. They used to call them cell cell groups, so forth. He was the originator of that kind of stuff. He's he's passed on now as well. But I'm just saying, we went to that church, and uh, we saw, you know, in operation and so forth, and. We could feel the presence of the Lord there. And everybody prayed out loud, you know, like a Pentecostal church service, you know. And so what this is back then. I'm only saying to you here, there is the real, but there's also the hypocrisy part of it. There is the phonies. There is that that's out there, folks. And don't buy into anything. Anybody comes along and says, oh, you know, this and oh, that and oh, this and that and everything. uh, Don't buy into it, you know. Uh, I'm just trying to say here that stay with the book, stay with the word, stay with God's people, stay with the church, stay with the spirit of God. It's the greatest thing on earth. This is the best thing in the world. And it, this deception thing is what will uh, the devil will try to trip us up on. I'm going to give you another verse of scripture here. Uh, this is one found in Acts. This is where Paul, just before he was to make his voyage to Rome, he made this statement to the Elders at Ephesus, and I'm reading here from Acts chapter 20 and verse 29. For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise. This happens, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. So he said, warned them, said this is going to happen as well. Uh, he goes on to say here in another place, first, I'm reading here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And verse one, now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Verse two here, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Look at verse three, forbidding to marry. Does that sound familiar? Forbidding to marry. As some people say, oh, if you want to be a Christian. You know, or, or if you're going to be a, a clergyman, you, gotta, you can't marry. And uh, commanding to abstain from meats. Certain meats you can't eat. And then Paul said, they're saying this, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. That's why we Christians pray. Because that sanctifies the food. When you pray, say, God, sanctify the food. And when you sanctify it, I don't care whether it's catfish or pork or whatever or oysters (laughs) or or lobster or anything that perhaps under the law they didn't eat. It's okay to eat it, praise the Lord, because the Bible says it's all right. You see what I'm saying? And somebody comes along, and goes, oh, no, no, you can't eat certain meats. You can't eat certain meats. Uh, if you are, then you're going against the Word of God because the Word of God says that we can. I'm going to read one other verse that I'm through here. And this is uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days. He says, which are a shadow of things to come, keeping the law and keeping those. Days, certain days and holy days and keeping always keeping the Sabbath as the day of rest. Uh, this is the day of rest that we're living in. The dispensation of rest is the Holy Ghost. This is the rest we're with and shall rest. This is the Holy Ghost. Every Sunday is our day of worship. It's not a day of rest, it's a day of worship. Amen. And so there is no day of rest except the dispensation day of rest that we're in. I won't go any further, but I could give you a lot of scripture on that. Uh, it goes on to say here in verse 18, let no man beguile you, that's deceive you, of your reward in involuntary humility. Somebody's saying, oh, they try to act this or uh, It goes on to say, intr- in, in, intruding into those things which he has not seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. These things all tell us, don't be deceived, stay with the book, stay with the word, thank God for it. Thank God for those things that are solid and stable. Aren't you glad you know the truth? Let's stand together and let's just praise God and worship Him. Let's thank Him right now together. Jesus, we love you for all things. We glorify your wonderful name. We praise you, Jesus, because you love your people. Lord, and your people love you. Thank you for the word, oh God, that's our stability. It is our rudder in the water. God, we ask you, God, to bless this congregation. Be with us in all things in Jesus' name, amen.